0: Welcome to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan.
1: If a race has no history, it has no worthwhile tradition, it becomes a negligible factor in the thought of the world, and it stands in danger of being exterminated.
0: That opening passage is from a 1926 article in the Journal of Negro History by Carter G. Woodson. He's appealing to educators to dedicate one week in February to teaching about Negro history. And he wanted that week to fall between President Lincoln and Frederick Douglass's birthdays. Now, Woodson is considered the father of the early black history movement, and his efforts eventually led, as you can imagine, to the Black History Month celebration of African American achievement. I came across a digital version of his book, The Negro Church from 1920, as I was preparing to watch a new documentary by a modern giant in African and African-American history, Dr. Henry Louis Gates, Jr. Gates is a prolific author, an Emmy Award-winning filmmaker, and a scholar who leads the Hutchins Center for African and African-American Research at Harvard University. Woodson's alma mater, by the way. And like Woodson, Gates is passionate about understanding how history shapes the present and is eager to making that history accessible. On February 16th, his latest documentary, The Black Church, premiered on PBS. And for Gates, this was a deeply personal story.
2: I've spent my career exploring stories about Black life. But there's one I'm never told. And it might be the most important one of all. It's the remarkable history of the Black Church.
0: The title, however, is a bit of a misnomer. The documentary is not about one building or even one faith tradition, and it is ambitious, spanning four centuries, half a dozen different religions, and several countries. It is also shaped by struggles that emerged within the community. And it features a number of familiar voices, from media mogul Oprah Winfrey to public theologian Cornel West.
1: I don't know how we could have survived as a people without it.
2: We had to have some individual and institutional armor in order to preserve our sanity.
0: It's not a one-sided celebration. The documentary tackles the criticisms and tensions surrounding the church.
1: Where's the African-American church in Black Lives Matter? Where's the African-American church with environmental justice
0: movements? That was Yolanda Pierce, Dean of Howard University's School of Divinity. Later in the episode, I talk with Dr. Pierce about the role of women in the Black Church, the church mothers, as she calls them. But we begin this week with the filmmakers Stacey Holman and Shayla Harris. The two collaborated directing and producing with Dr. Gates. For both women, telling this story began with listening and learning. Our conversation begins with Shayla offering a surprising confessional about her own faith experience.
3: Well, I am not a sort of typical practitioner of the Black church. I grew up Catholic, which is not not the sort of uh, quintessential, you know, rockin' music uh, church experience that um, I think we come to expect from the Black church, so I was very curious to learn about the Black church, so I kind of came in not really knowing much other than that I've done a lot of films on the Black experience, on African-American history, and this seemed like a really incredible opportunity to look at an institution that I had just really kind of known from the civil rights movement and that activism, but I didn't know any of the long history of the church that had stretched back to the Atlantic slave trade. So for me, it was a really exciting opportunity to learn. That's why I'm a filmmaker is because I get to you know have a crash course in these things that I don't know about, and also to work with someone like Dr. Gates, who obviously is at the forefront of covering a lot of this history. And I just knew that that combination
4: was gonna be really exciting.
0: Stacy, what, what drew you to this project?
4: Um. First of all, just the subject itself and growing up in Ohio, um, I went to a predominantly white church with my family. However, my grandparents in Southern Ohio, my maternal grandparents, they belong to a small Baptist church. And that really was the seed that was planted in me about just the black church experience. Um, even though it was very hard sitting through two hour plus services as a kid where you could not do anything, but just sit and stare and pay attention and stay awake. Um, it's those moments and memories that are cemented and really just formed me and formed my, my faith walk. And when I heard and learned that, um, Dr. Gates was doing the series, I was one of the producer directors on Reconstruction. I was like, oh my God, I have to do this. So I was, I put my bid in and was very, um, very thankful and blessed to be part of the series. And like Shayla, I mean, I've had um, the opportunity to tell the African-American experience and it's just, I learned so much. And um, just because you spent time in a black church does not mean that you know everything about the black church experience.
0: Now, I am struck, Shayla, as someone who grew up Catholic and in a more, um, a very different style of worshiping, were you nervous at all about how you would tell
3: this story? You know, I'm often like the insider-outsider perspective, and I think um, it's really useful to have that perspective when you're thinking about how to convey a story that maybe everybody doesn't know to an audience. Uh, I can't assume that every person who's going to be watching this has had a black church experience. And so I think it's Mm -hmm. useful to always kind of have that in the back of your mind as you're approaching this, these kinds of subjects and not have those kinds of assumptions about what people know and what they don't know or what they've experienced or what they haven't experienced. Um, So for me, I think it was also really important to convey that wonder and that sort of amazement when you walk into those spaces and convey that sort of that feeling of an embrace right when you Mm -hmm. walk into a church and um, you feel that community spirit I think that is something that we definitely wanted to convey and that's something that you know over the course of our film um was something that resonated with the earliest African Christians, you know, that sense of being able to walk into a space and to be able to like lay their burdens down Mm -hmm. literally and process some of what they had been going through. And, you know, we really wanted to kind of immerse people in that sense, like kind of from the beginning. Um, So I think that was something that I was always mindful of in terms of like how to approach the series, what stories we told and
4: how we told them.
0: How did you choose or why did you choose to begin this documentary
4: not in the United States? First of all, we know that the, the church is not monolithic. Um it's not just one thing. And also too, when enslaved Africans were brought here, they worshiped a god. They um understood God. They understood a higher being. And it was important that we start that hour saying just that. And the key thing I really believe that people will be surprised, a lot of people will be surprised to know, I know I was, is that there was a Muslim footprint with enslaved Africans. We, we travel down to Sapelo Island and we visit the cemetery of Bilali Muhammad's descendants.
0: The documentary takes viewers to the barrier island off the coast of Georgia, about 60 miles from Savannah. The tiny island is home to Black Muslim history that, frankly, many are just now discovering. Bilali Muhammad was believed to have come from an educated and influential West African Muslim family from present-day Sierra Leone. Kidnapped and enslaved as a teenager, he was sold in the Bahamas and eventually purchased by Thomas Spaulding, who brought Muhammad to Sapelo Island. He was literate in Arabic, Islamic history, and was skilled, becoming a master cultivator of rice. Gates introduces one of Bilali Muhammad's descendants and his legacy on the island.
1: He left a written record of both his Attempts to Mm -hmm. reclaim and Mm -hmm. recall what he was remembering of his
2: religious instruction. In other words, he was determined to preserve his identity, this aspect of his identity. Exactly,
1: exactly. So, you know, this was Bilali's daughter, Hmm. and her sons would become very instrumental in the creation of the first African Baptist Church on the island. Mm. People descended on Sapelo, researchers and writers who were also looking for the African origins right, the of black link, culture. The, the missing, missing link. link yeah. Right. So the stories that they told contributed to wealth of knowledge mm-hmm. about the existence of black Muslims on Georgia's
2: coast. What happened to the descendants of the Muslims? who were here. Are you descended from a Muslim? I am, actually. I mean, but most people from Sapelo
1: are also descendants.
2: So the practice of Islam did not last very long within the community. Soon people were converted to Christianity.
1: There was a time where there were people who seemed to remember that there might be specific traditions that might be associated with Islam, Mm -hmm. burial practices, Mm -hmm. you know, where graves
2: are facing. There's a lot of east to west orientation that I've seen.
1: One of the things that I think that is the story of black religion in America Mm -hmm. is that um, what enslaved people did in this new context was they attempted to merge and, you know, fuse... Mm -hmm these different worlds.
4: Catholicism, that's not part of the series, Skip covers it in his book, but that was also introduced to Africans and the continent of Africa. So we wanted to let people know that you, know, as we see the evolution of the Black church, of what we know in North America as the Black church, there's elements of Africa, there's elements of home, there's elements of worship, there are elements of praise that we see throughout the entire form of worship and understanding who and whom and what God is.
0: Stacy, I was making a short list as I was watching, and there are so many things you cover here. How, as a storyteller, did you make decisions about bringing all of these various topics, these threads, back to the church?
4: Well, one thing is, and I'll just kind of use music as an example, um, where music starts. You have the the spirituals, you have the folk, and that evolves. And that's one thing that we looked at. And we had an amazing, amazing group of um, scholars and who were advisors, uh, many of them, to really help guide us to make sure that we were. Hitting those marks. There's a lot of boxes to check when you talk about the Black Church. However, how many of those hit all the specific decades and eras and centuries that we are covering in this four hundred years? I mean this is a historical documentary. It's a visual medium. So our archive team was really incredible in really finding Images, um, finding um, footage that, you know, we try to really find stuff that no one has ever seen before, but even stuff that people have seen, how can we reinterpret that? And how can you use that to really bring new life or insight to that story that will then help us just continue to connect it from hour one to hour three and to hour four? So it was, um, you know, going through and reading a lot and really just seeing the, the key themes and characters. Um, and Shayla can talk about this because this is an hour two and hour four. We talk about um God as a Negro, you know, black theology. You know, that was being talked about in, you know, the early church. And then you cut to um hour four and there it is again. You know, as
3: Stacy said, part of the story of looking at this history of the institution over four hundred years is recognizing that there are a lot of echoes right, that keep coming up over and over and over again. Like like Stacy mentioned, you know, Black theology emerges in the late 19th century, but then has a resurgence, you know, in the Black power era, when people are talking mm-hmm. about Black is beautiful in the late 60s. So that was a thread that we connected. And one of the other kind of unifying themes I think that was helpful for us was W.E.B. Du Bois, the famous sociologist, you know, wrote in his exploration of the Black church that it it boiled down to three elements, you know, the preacher, the music and the frenzy. And so that was also another thread that we kind of kept returning to in each episode and looking at the role of the preacher, looking at the role of music and how it evolved and the frenzy, which is just the worship practice. What's the frenzy? Well, I think the frenzy is a different thing for each person. Like the frenzy is something you define for yourself. But Uh, it basically boils down to the worship experience, like the feeling of God within yourself that that can only be expressed in this sort of external frenzy. And some people call Mm -hmm. it the Holy Ghost. Um, Some people call it, you know, speaking in tongues. That's how it's uh, been um, sort of manifested in other ways, but it, it manifests itself in a lot of different ways that we explore it in the series.
0: Coming up after the break, I continue my conversation with Shayla Harris and Stacey Holman. The two independent filmmakers teamed up to direct the new four-hour, two-part PBS documentary, The Black Church. This is our story. This is our song. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Hi, friends. I hope you're enjoying the show so far. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being part of our community. I don't know if you know this, but we are on the air all the way from Richmond, Virginia, to Ketchikan, Alaska, and in so many places in between. Welcome back to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices. I'm your host, Umbreen Khan. If you are just joining, this week we're talking with Stacey Holman and Shayla Harris. The two independent filmmakers teamed up with the historian Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr. to produce the PBS documentary, The Black Church. This is our story. This is our song. But despite its name, it's not about one religion or tradition— but rather the cultural institution known as the American Black Church, one that came into existence because of white supremacy, and one that continues to evolve. Let's get back to my conversation. I asked Stacy and Shayla to share something they learned while making the documentary, something that changes the way they now see the present. Stacey begins.
4: For me, it's it's the Muslim footprint. I had no idea. I knew we knew God, but I did not know that God was living and breathing and still here through Islam. So that was my biggest aha moment.
3: Yeah, that, that definitely was like, whoa, mind blown that everything makes sense now moment uh, was learning about the Muslim tradition. But I also didn't know that uh, some of the first uh, black politicians were clergy members and now after doing this series I'm like of course it makes sense that the the earliest leaders um after emancipation would come from this institution that had been this sanctuary and those those people were the best
0: representatives of that community when you talk about the 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 legacy of a tradition and being able to put the outcome of the Georgia elections, for example, into that context, and you watch this documentary, you get this historical perspective. Can you talk a little bit about what were some of the most important themes that emerged in that last hour? I think for us, the thing that we wanted to reflect
3: in the last hour is that the church is in some ways at a crossroads in terms of where it fits in the society coming off of the like high watermark of the civil rights movement as the Black community Uh, has diversified socially, ethnically, geographically. The church as an institution has had to evolve to reflect that. And so we see that playing out in conversations around politics, around what kinds of theologies, whether you're talking about prosperity gospel and things like that, or whether you're talking about political engagement on issues like, you know, police brutality and social activism and homosexuality and, and all of these issues um, kept cropping up. And, and of course, race and politics and social justice in America. I mean, those are have always been a part of the story and show that there's still some questions around that. And where
0: does the church fit in that conversation? There's an echo in this documentary that
4: neither of you have brought up, which is white supremacy. I feel like it's almost like we don't need to even say it because it's just it's it's entrenched in this country. I mean, when you are brought here against your will, that's white supremacy. And it's it's there until now.
3: If white people are tired of hearing about white supremacy,
4: then certainly Black
3: people are tired of experiencing it. Without white supremacy, you don't have Black preachers saying God is a Negro. Like there's no reason to make that assertion if they're not saying that in response to something that they're experiencing. And we talk about The threat of that and why that emerges at at that particular point in time and why it resurges in the late 60s. That's not an accident. And we also look at the incredible violence that is propagated against the Black church as this sort of symbol of Black independence, Black control, Black agency. And one of the stories, you know, talk about the aha moment is connecting the, the first rebuilding of Mother Emmanuel when it's built originally after the Civil War it had been destroyed by the white people in Charleston and it was rebuilt as a symbol of emancipation. They called it mother Emmanuel, and the Hebrew name refers to God is with us. That was the whole point. And that is the same church where a white supremacist goes in and, and murders nine people who are worshiping their Bible. That's the story of America in a nutshell, that that same church within 150 years, you know, has been attacked twice based on the same ideology. I mean, there's no reason to have a Black church without white supremacy. That's the, the literal foundation and the structure of the church as this nation of a nation is a sanctuary from that experience. So I think even if we don't say those words so explicitly or use the language of the conversations that we're having right now, it's certainly a thread.
0: Stacey, is there another through line here, one that's focused on women?
4: Um, You cannot talk about the Black experience without talking about women's role, whether it's helping in the kitchen, whether it's helping to usher people in, and most importantly, whether it's at the pulpit. Um, And some of the early women, and even today, are not even allowed on some of these pulpits, which is still unfortunate. Bishop Vashti McKenzie was one of the coolest interviews for me, and just Hearing her talk about, you know, Jarena Lee, whose footsteps and whose shoulders she stands on. Who is that? For listeners who don't know who this is. Oh, well, this is the African Methodist Episcopal. Um, And in 1833, Philadelphia, Jarena Lee, she is a woman. She is um, called to preach. She is moved to preach. um, But she is not allowed to preach just for the mere fact that she is a woman. Um, There is a story in which she is um, at a service. There is uh, someone, a male preaching, not going too well. The Holy Spirit hit her, where she gets up and she starts preaching, and she preaches. So impressive and so moved by her preaching, Richard Allen is even taken aback by it. Um, he is a supporter of her being recognized in the AME Church, but that falls on deaf ears. And it's not until 200 years later that they actually install a female bishop, and that is Bishop Vashti McKenzie. So it takes 200 years, um, but women are still... are are still doing it. Um, women are still preaching regardless of whether or not they're being welcomed into an actual church or welcomed by, um, male congregants or male run church. Um, so it was just, it was key to have that voice because as, and I think it's Yolanda Pierce, who says, you know, it's 90% made up of women. Did you find yourself
0: struggling with how to tell that story? I don't think we struggled with telling that story at all, because everyone
3: we talked to wanted to talk about it. Uh, So, you know, there are no shrinking violets of the Black women in the Black church. And so I think that made telling that story helpful, especially when you look at a period in the late 1800s that was known as women's era. They expressed what they called a righteous discontent. You know, they were pushing back on Uh, not having access to that power in the pulpit. And I think one of the things that we wanted to illustrate is that, that the pulpit isn't the only place of power, right? That even within the black church that, you know, helping with the infrastructure. And a lot of those women in the late 1800s decided to take their activism and their engagement and the things that they cared about socially and culturally and economically um, to the club women's movement. You know, they took it outside of the church and, and sort of impacted their communities in that way. That's what we have seen over the course of the Black church history is that, you know, the women are not waiting around. <laughs> you know, the women are have agency and they're doing their own thing. And if they can't find what they need within the church, then they are more than willing to leave it if they have to.
0: I want to talk to you about one of the closing scenes. It really took me by surprise. It was very emotional. It was Dr. Gates taking us back to his childhood church in West Virginia.
3: Well, you know, as Skip would say, you know, this is one of his most personal films. And we were all kind of nervous going back to the church in West Virginia. He hadn't been there in a long time. And it was very much this sort of prodigal son kind of coming home from foreign or wherever he had been off to. And uh, just the warmth of the embrace and just the collectiveness of that community, just like like a day hadn't passed, I think was uh, just so profound and so emotional. And I think that allowed him to go to a place that maybe he didn't expect.
2: After so many years' distance from it, I'd finally come to understand more fully the meaning and the magic of the black church. Oh, my girl. I made it. (laughs) Hi. This is where my life in the church started. I was 12 years old, and it was Sunday. And mama hugged me and she told me she was going to die. And they took her to the hospital. So I went upstairs in my bedroom. I didn't tell anybody. I just prayed. And I told Jesus that if you let my mother live, I'd give my life to Christ. Amen. About three days later, she got better, and she came home. So I got up, looked in the mirror, and went, uh-oh. You know? <laughs> I have made a deal with Jesus, you know. <laughs> you don't mess with God. <laughs> and I came to this church every Sunday, and I joined the choir, and I still sing all the hymns. Um, my favorite... Kim, of all time, was Miss Toots, The Prodigal Son. Oh, I believe, I believe I will go back home. Well, I believe, I believe I will go back home. I believe, I believe I will go back home.
3: It sounds like it's such a specific story that we're talking about the Black church, but the themes that we're talking about are so universal that I think that, you know, Anybody in our audience, whatever their faith background, if they have a faith background, um, you know, could, can resonate, can find something, can find some meaning in it. Mm. That's what we hope people take away from it.
4: It was a privilege and a gift to tell this story. I learned so much. Um, I grew so much. And it's a, and a gift and a privilege to be able to, to share it with everybody.
0: That was producer and director Shayla Harris and series director and producer Stacey Holman. The two are award-winning independent filmmakers who teamed up with the executive producer, Dr. Henry Louis Gates Jr., to produce the documentary The Black Church. Coming up, my conversation with Dr. Yolanda Pierce. She has a new book out that introduces us to her grandmother and the legacy and role of the church mothers, Women who have contributed and embody Black theology. You're listening to Inspired, a production of Interfaith Voices.